Psalm chapter 90. If you have your Bible uh, in front of you or if you're at home and you've access to the Bible on your phone, uh, we're going to continue to make connections with the book of Colossians like we have through this series, but I want to begin by reading Psalm chapter, chapter 90. Uh, and just a, just a fair warning that, that some moment this morning I, I just break into tears. Uh, just bear with me and, and go, I did day real, did it. I meant later in the sermon, not right now. Um, just a lot of weight right now. Kenny, can you rescue me with some tissues, man? <laughs> Thank you. Man, what a gift. Oh, thanks, brother. You know, what a gift uh, God's word is, and uh, what a gift uh, church is. All right, Psalm chapter 90. Here we go. Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth, wherever you had formed the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. You return man to dust and say, return, O children of man, for a thousand years in your sight are but as yesterday when it is past, or as a watch in the night. You sweep them away as with a flood. They are like a dream, like grass that is renewed in the morning. In the morning it flourishes and is renewed. In the evening it fades and withers. For you were brought to an end, or for we are brought to an end by your anger. By your wrath we are dismayed. You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. For all our days pass away under your wrath. We bring our years to an end like a sigh. The years of our life are 70, or even by reason of strength, 80. Yet their span is but toil and trouble. They are soon gone and we fly away. Who considers the power of your anger and your wrath according to the fear of you? So teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. Return, O Lord, how long? Have pity on your servants. Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. Make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us, for as many years as we have seen evil. Let your work be shown to your servants and your glorious power to their children. Let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us and establish the work of our hands upon us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. Father, we pray for your grace and mercy in these moments. God, thank you for the gift of, of music, for the gift of this Advent season, for the gift of your word, for the gift of a church family. And Father, I pray during this time that our hearts and minds would be open to your word. And God, as a result of gathering for worship, as a result of watching online, listening to a podcast, just, God, as a result of your goodness, I pray that our lives would be transformed by your spirit. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. 
So we're in the middle of, I say in the middle, we're, we're nearing the end of a sermon series that we've been calling The Gift of Limits that builds on the idea of God's character and the hope of the gospel and all that God has been doing in our church family through his word this year. And we're trying to say that we serve an unlimited God and yet one of God's good gifts to us is he establishes certain limits for his people. And today we've come to the limit of time. The fact that we only have a limited amount of time and how we use that time is an act of worship before God. Now, don't look at anybody around you, but I'd be curious to know if we had any procrastinators uh, in, in the house. Uh, I want you to watch this video, maybe just a little emotional roller coaster here for us, but this is a fun little video, my favorite video about procrastination. I want you to see a short clip of this. So in college, I was a government major, which means I had to write a lot of papers. Now, when a normal student writes a paper, they might spread the work out a little like this. So, you know, <laughs> you get started maybe a little slowly, but you get enough done in the first week that with some heavier days later on, everything gets done and things stay civil. And I would want to do that like that. That would be the plan. I would. Uh, I would have it all ready to go, but then, then, then actually the paper would, would come along, and then I would kind of do this. <laughs> and that would happen every single paper. But then came my 90-page senior thesis, a paper you're supposed to spend a year on. I knew for a paper like that, my normal workflow was not an option, it was way too big a project. So I planned things out, and I decided it kind of had to go something like this. This is how the year would go. So I'd start off light, and I'd bump it up in the middle months, and then at the end, I would kick it up into high gear. It's just like a little staircase. How hard could it be to just walk up the stairs? No big deal, right? But then, funniest thing happened. Those first few months, they came and went, and I, I couldn't quite do stuff. So we had an awesome new revised plan. And then... But then those middle months actually went by, and I didn't really write words. And so we were here. And then two months turned into one month, which turned into two weeks. And one day I woke up with three days until the deadline, <laughs> still not having written a word, and so I did the only thing I could. I wrote 90 pages over 72 hours, pulling not one, but two all-nighters. Humans are not supposed to pull two all-nighters. Sprinted across campus, dove in slow motion, and got it in just at the deadline. I thought that was the end of everything. But a week later, I get a call. And it's the school. And they say, is this Tim Urban? And I say, yeah. And they say, we need to talk about your thesis. And I say, OK. And they say, it's the best one we've ever seen. <laughs> that did not happen. It was a very, very bad thesis. All right, I'll leave you to watch the rest of Tim Urban's uh, TED Talk about procrastination. It's hilarious, it gets better. He's got some really good points that he makes. Colossians chapter four, verse five. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders, 
making the best use of the time. Let's be honest, we don't always handle time particularly well. Now next week, when we think about having limited resources and we think about the idea of being good stewards with what God's given us, God's given us resources, we have limited resources, we wanna be good stewards of those, but that same concept applies to time. We've been given a particular amount of time, limited time, and we want to be good stewards of that, making the best use of the time. And most of us, especially right now, this season of life, this season of the world, we don't need a lot of help reminding ourselves that our time is limited. You have birthdays that come and go. You have those Facebook memories that pop up and you think, oh my word, how has that much time passed since that picture was taken or that event happened? You have funerals. You have loved ones who are sick and passing away. You have birthdays that end, the age ends with a zero and you're like, oh my word, where did that birthday come? And we have all these things coming at us. Limited time. How do we understand that? Let's start with God's character like we have with each of these issues and be reminded that we serve a God of unlimited time. We read this earlier, Psalm chapter 90 verse 2, before the mountains were brought forth or you had formed the earth and the world from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. Now there's a lot of really interesting research that's out there about God and time. If you're interested in some of that philosophical, theological research about God and time, I'd love to be able to send you some of that. There's some really interesting things that, that have been done. It's, it's kind of a complicated subject, but at the end of the day, we recognize that God does not relate to time in the same way we do, that God is eternal, that there was never a moment, there was never a scenario in which God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit did not exist. It's something that boggles the mind and strengthens the heart, this idea that God is eternal, that, that we are obviously created beings with this limited amount of time, but God, in some sense, exists outside of time, and yet, that doesn't prohibit him or prevent him from acting within history, acting within time. The God who is eternal is the same God who is sovereign over all of history, and so we see him at work in our world. But we also know the flip of God's unlimited time is what we've already talked about this morning, that as humanity, we have a limited amount of time. We face this with the reality of death, that when you think about Scripture unfolding, you think about sin coming into the world, and God in an act of mercy removing Adam and Eve from the garden from access to the tree of life, and that death comes into the world. And even in the beginning of the Bible, you have some very long lifespans, but by the time you get up to the, around the flood, Genesis chapter 6, you have God saying his days shall be 120 years, speaking of mankind. Psalm chapter 90 that we read earlier, the years of our life are 70, or even by reason of strength, 80. We see these lifespans, and no matter how short or long the lifespan, we realize that all of us, because of sin, you go back and you pick up Romans chapter 5 here, because of sin coming into the world, death came as well, and death came to all people. That all of us, no matter how short or long life, we face the reality of death. And, and let's just be reminded, that's not making a morbid comment. That's a very important reality to face. That every one of us has limited time on this earth. And not only that, but, but our days are limited. 
We can only accomplish so much in the course of a day. It doesn't matter how many all-nighters you pull, at some point it's going to catch up with you. Isaiah chapter 40 tells us that even young men stumble and fall. Even youth grow tired and weary. Even your little grandchild or your child, your little preschooler that seems to never get tired, at some point they finally, long after you've given out, they give out. Even they get tired, but the Lord doesn't grow tired and weary. We face the reality of death. We have limited time in a day, but there's something missing here on this idea of how we relate to time. Because we have been created in the image of God. And what has God placed in the heart of every person? He has placed eternity in the heart of all people. We face the reality of death. Our time is limited on earth. We only have so much energy, so many hours in a day. But for every person, we also face the reality and the promise of eternity. Ecclesiastes 3, that famous chapter in the Bible that talks about there's a time for everything, Verse 11, God has put eternity into man's heart. This reality that what we face now is not the end of the story. That death is not the end of our existence. And I hope with that you feel the weight of that reality. Because remember, limited life, facing sin and death, and yet eternity lies ahead. When you put those pieces together, you, you should see a conflict. You should see something, oh my word, how am I going to face eternity knowing that sin and death are part of my life and part of this world? What, what do we do with that? You have the hope of Christmas. Into time, into our world, God sent his son. Galatians 4 when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. None of us could ever face eternity, the reality of eternity on our own. In our sin, facing death, we are never getting out of that on our own. But God came to us. He came to us in our time. He came to us in history. He came to us in the fullness of history at exactly the right time in order to bring salvation. This is the hope and the message of Christmas. But it also means this. It means there's a limited time to respond to that hope and that promise of salvation. That with the coming of Jesus, came a way that God was dealing with sin and death. But when you're talking about a limited time span, you have Hebrews chapter 9, verses 27 and 28. Just as it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment, so Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of man, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. Just as it is appointed for man to die once and after that comes judgment. God has provided a way for salvation. And in the book of Hebrews he says, today is that day of salvation. That that offer stands before us that he has made a way so that we could be saved. Something that we could never do on our own. Christ has done for us what we could never do on our own. But now is the time to respond. 
And so very directly, if you're, if you're watching at home, if you're listening later in the week, if you're here in the room, are you waiting for the return of Jesus to bring his ultimate salvation into your life? Where is your hope knowing that every one of us faces a limited time in this world? And that's not some sort of scare tactic. That is, we need to face reality. We need to face the reality of sin and death and rebellion against God. We need to face the reality of the return of Christ and the limit of our own days. But friends, we don't face that reality without hope. There is incredible hope because of what God has done for us through his son, Jesus Christ. There is hope because of Christmas. And now is the time to respond to that. Listen to some of these verses. Feel the weight of this as you think about these verses coming from the book of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 4, verses 1 and 2. God says there, Therefore, while the promise of entering God's rest still stands, let us fear, lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. For good news came to us, just as it did to them, talking about the wilderness generation in, in the Old Testament, but the message they heard did not benefit them because they were not united by faith with those who believed. So in verse six it says, since therefore it remains for some to enter God's rest, and those who formerly received that good news failed to enter because of disobedience, again God has appointed a certain day, called today, saying through David, so long afterward in the words already quoted, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. If you are listening today, and you hear the promise of salvation, do not harden your hearts. That there is hope through the good news of Jesus. Second Peter chapter three. 2 Peter chapter three, verse three. Knowing this, first of all, that scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing. This is picking up some of that Noah story, some of that idea. Following their own sinful desires, they will say, where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. How can you talk about the return of Christ? What's really different? It's just going to keep going and going and going, and you're just making up this idea of a return of Jesus. Verse 8. Do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promises, some count slowness, but he is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. But know that the day of the Lord will come like a thief. This morning, as we think about having limited time in this world, limited time in this life, but also the reality of eternity, I want to give you two phrases that I would want to set before any follower of Jesus that help us know how to live as the people of God in a world of limited time. Two phrases that I hope would be helpful for you. Number one is eternal focus. Number one is eternal focus. When you have an eternal God who has placed eternity in the heart of every human being and we have limited time, it begins with this idea of eternal focus. A few weeks ago, we talked about FOMO, fear of missing out. I want to know everything. I want to be a part of everything, FOMO. Different acronym today, YOLO. Uh, YOLO is the acronym, you only live once. Now, Hebrews 9, 
great acronym. <laughs> YOLO, that's, that's exactly right. You do only live once. But the way that that acronym is often used is you only live once, so live it up. This is all that we have. This is the life you've been given. This is the world you've been placed into. YOLO, you only live once, so just live it up. 1 Corinthians 15, 32, if the dead are not raised, if there is no resurrection, is there, if there is no future eternity, if there is no judgment before the Lord, then by all means, let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. But friends, eternal perspective to go alongside this one life also puts things in perspective. We need an eternal focus to tell us that my goal in life is not just to live it up. My goal in life is to trust and know and worship the Lord, keeping that eternal perspective, this, this season of Advent, this preparing ourselves for the return of the Lord. And in the meantime, responding to God's salvation and urging others to do the same. Sometimes people will say that having an eternal focus or a heavenly mindset will prevent you from living fully in this world. I would say it's exactly the opposite. The only way we can live fully in this world is to have an eternal focus and a heavenly mindset. That when we have that, it, it's similar to this. It's similar to having a worldwide perspective, a global historical perspective, and how that puts all of our problems into perspective. Sometimes when you're feeling really overwhelmed with life and things that are happening around us, it, it helps just to kind of lift up our eyes and look at the entire world and look at all of history and remind ourselves, you know what, there's perspective to this. And when we think about the things that we're facing in life, it's a good practice to think, this, this thing that I'm facing in life, what does it mean or matter in 15 years? What does it mean or matter in 15 years? That, that's good. How about in 15,000 years? The thing that we are facing right now the reality of this world, the things that are going on in your life, what perspective do they hold when you think of 15,000 years from now or 15 million years from now? We are called as God's people to have an eternal focus. Here's the second phrase. People with an eternal focus who realize they have limited time will practice daily faithfulness. Eternal focus, daily faithfulness. If you chant that to yourself leaving, I know the Lord would do a good work in your heart as you're thinking about how do I make the best use of the time. Eternal focus, daily faithfulness. Eternal focus plus limited time equals I need God's humility and wisdom and I want to live a life in intentionality. Psalm chapter 90, teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Colossians chapter 4 again, walk in wisdom toward outsiders making the best use of the time. When you're confronted in your life with limited time, our response to that is, God, I want to be faithful right now. I want to be faithful to what is right in front of me. The best way I can prepare for the future is to be faithful right now. When a high school student, college student, young adult comes to me and says, Owen, I'm trying to figure out God's will for my life. I don't know what's coming next. My first response every time is the best way you can prepare for the future is to be faithful to what God has put in front of you right now. That we would be faithful to what we have. Now, let me alert us to two dangers on this. So these are gonna come from two ends of the spectrum. Like how could we mess up this daily faithfulness? How could we not make the best use of the time? 
two spectrums to this. One is that we would waste the time on foolishness, and the other that we would run around frantically thinking all of life is up to us and we've got to solve every problem. Okay, so we're going to take it in two parts. The first danger that we need to confront is this idea that we would waste the time that we've been given, that we would waste our lives. Ephesians chapter 5 is our help here. Ephesians chapter 5 and you're going to hear language very similar to Colossians because Ephesians and Colossians are related in your Bible, very closely connected books in the Bible. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery or wastefulness, but be filled with with the Spirit. As Paul is reminding the Ephesians that they have limited time in a world full of evil, how are they supposed to live? Paul says, don't live without self-control, which in the Bible, self-control is Holy Spirit control. We need to have self-control. And specifically, he describes lack of self-control by using the imagery of drunkenness, which he then calls debauchery, which is a word that when you look behind the scenes has the idea of wastefulness, which means, you probably won't forget this after this morning, but this is a really helpful illustration. When your friend tells you that they got wasted, you can tell them that that is a biblical idea. That when you get drunk, when you get wasted, that is exactly what scripture says has happened in Ephesians chapter five. That in losing self-control, we have wasted the limited amount of time that God has given every one of this. And so, in response to that, Paul says, don't waste your life on foolishness. Which leads me to ask myself, and after asking myself to ask you, what foolishness are you wasting your life on? What would someone look into your life, or you would look into the mirror of God's word, and you would say, I am giving a large amount of time in my life to something that scripture calls foolish. That you have loved ones or friends who are speaking into your life right now and you don't want to hear them and they are saying to you, be careful because you are about to waste your life on something that scripture calls foolishness. That in God's word, he calls us to trust him and to have the control of the Holy Spirit to live out what he's called us to do. Now, that's one spectrum that we could waste our life and, and not make the best use of the time. Here's the other side. I want you to remember Jesus' example. That the way that Jesus lived his life, he lived with intentionality, but you never get the feeling that Jesus is hurrying. He had a mission, but remember that Jesus lived the first 30 years of his life in, in what amounts to almost complete obscurity, and then he began a short ministry by spending 40 days in the desert. He walked, he rested, he constantly seemed to make his disciples and followers frustrated because of how he would wait and not move at the speed that they wanted him to move at. Jesus lived intentionally without hurry. We tend to live hurriedly without intention. That we have this mentality that says, I have a limited amount of time, which then means I should be the savior of the world. I should run around frantically trying to do everything imaginable as if that's really up to me. And we have the example of Jesus that says, what are we called to do? We're called to live on mission. 
We're called to live lives that count. We're called to not be foolish. We're called to be intentional, but we're not called to frantically hurry as if the whole world depends upon us. So the question then becomes, how do we practice this daily faithfulness? Let me just throw out some, let's, let's kind of go into a little practical application. If we want to be faithful on a daily basis, what does this look like? Number one idea I would put before you is this. Submit your schedule to the Lord. <laughs> now, now this presumes that you do have a schedule because you realize that if you don't control your time, other people will be more than happy to do that for you. Uh, either you can control your time seeking to honor the Lord or everybody else around you will be glad to control your time. A schedule and the work of the Holy Spirit are not enemies. That we say we want to make our plans but the Lord will direct our steps. That great passage from James chapter four, if the Lord wills, we will go to this city and do such and such. This idea, God, I want to live my life. Here's my planner, or take your phone out. Here's my Google calendar, open-handed. Lord, I wanna honor you, I wanna live with intentionality, but I submit my schedule to you. If you struggle with this, before you go online and look at a whole bunch of productivity hacks, which aren't bad, those are helpful, just turn to people in the church, people that you know who are productive, who seem to have a good control of their schedule, who don't seem frantic, but they seem to want to honor the Lord with their lives, just go up to that person and say, how has God shaped your life to, to get to this point? This is the beauty of iron sharpening iron. This is the beauty of being a part of a church. Of, you know what, when I look at my life, whew, my schedule seems out of control. I don't know if I'm really accomplished anything. I'm busy, but I don't see great results. Who has God put around you? Who, who is wise in that area? Because we know that every one of us battles between what is urgent and what is important. President Eisenhower made this popular back in mid 20th century, but almost every business talks about it now. It's that battle between the urgent and the important. The important is what you know you should give your time to. The urgent is the five emails, four phone calls, three text messages, two turtle doves that just come in and, and get in the way of what, what God has called you to do. This battle that's always going on there. God, help me give my life to what is really, really important. How do you do that? First things first. And, and let me be real clear here. We don't have time to unpack the Old Testament background on this. First things first is, is not just a random do better in life comment. First things first has an Old Testament biblical background to it. This, this is the teaching of God's word that when we get the first things right, the other things have a way of falling into place, which means the way I begin my day will set the stage for how I use the time that day. When I begin it, begin it with rest, you wanna make dumb decisions in life, try to make key decisions when you're not rested well. That we begin with rest, Sabbath. God, you're in control. I'm, I'm not gonna own my life, I'm not gonna take over my life, I'm gonna trust you, I wanna start first things first. I know it's not popular to talk about any time, anymore, but, but even the, the idea of a quiet time, that you begin your day, not with your phone, not with social media, but you begin your day with scripture and prayer. Now, are there seasons of life? Absolutely there are. There are seasons of life where that quiet time, if it's three minutes, you have knocked it out of the park that day because you have kids running through the house, you have kids waking you up before you want to wake up, you have all these things. Does life happen? It absolutely does. Here's all I can tell you. I can tell a distinct 
difference in my day based on how I began that day. It's as simple as that. It's, it's like God created us in that way. When we begin rested, when we begin with scripture, when we begin with prayer, God has a way of putting those things in front of us. If you want to do a fun illustration with your kids or grandkids about this, here's what you do. You take an empty jar, and then you have a jar of very small rocks, and you have a jar of big rocks. And you say, how are we going to get all these rocks into this empty jar? If you try to put all the little rocks in first and then add the big rocks, they're not all going to fit. If you add the big rocks first and then you put the little rocks around them, they'll fit. Guess how life works. If you put the big rocks in first, if you get the first things first, if you seek the kingdom of God first above all things, it's amazing how those little rocks fit in around there. That this is how God has called us to daily faithfulness. Let me give you a couple other ideas as we think about how do we make the most of the time that God's put in front of us. There's also the idea of a weekly rhythm to life. That God has created us for weekly rhythm. <laughs> and then this is what has made quarantine so hard when every day feels like the day before, it's amazing how that saps your strength. It's like we were created to have a rhythm to life, and when every day feels the same, it, it tends to mess with not only our mental and emotional health, but even how we live in the world. How has God be, uh, designed us to begin the week? With gathered worship. Just like we want to begin our day in the right place, it's incredible how important it is to begin our week in the same way, that we begin from a place of trust in the Lord. We begin reminding ourselves that I'm not in charge of my life, that there is good news in Jesus. There are people who love me and care for me, and that propels the way we live our week. And we live our week working and playing, and there's a rhythm to those things. David Platt has an incredible phrase that he uses here where he says, in our world, we are tempted to worship our work, to work at our play, and to play at our worship. We live in a world where people are tempted to worship their work, to work at their play, and to play at their worship. And when we do that, we get everything backward, everything messed up. But when we say, God, I'm gonna worship you, and I'm gonna worship you in all I do, including the work that I do this week, including in those times of recreation, recreation, play, downtime, that are so important for what God calls us to do, God, I wanna give myself to those things. And then, in the week, I realize, because of limited relationships and limited gifts, I wanna make sure I'm investing my time in the right relationships and the right experiences. We had a gentleman that came this year to do a men's conference for us. And this imagery may be a little shocking for you. I just can't get it out of my head. <laughs> he said when his kids were growing up, he would imagine at times that there was a shot clock over his child's head, and that shot clock was ticking down. And it was a reminder from God to him that there's a lot of things in life that you might want to do, but you have limited time right now with these kids. And so if you're gonna invest your time, remember this time that you have. My favorite phrase for parenting, I'm gonna be the last one to give out parenting advice. There's nothing like somebody whose kids are little who writes all the parenting books and tells you how, how it's all done. I'm the last person who's gonna give you parenting advice. My favorite parenting phrase though, long days, short years. Long days, days that will absolutely never end and years that you think, where in the world did those years go? 
Like God, teach us to invest in generations. Teach us to invest in these relationships. What have you called us to do? Let me give you a Bible verse that you know, but I want you to wrap up with today. This is a Bible verse that we love, that we've seen with our kids and grandkids, but this is the verse I want to wrap up with today. Psalm 118, 24. This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Are you living with eternal focus? And and stated more directly, Are you waiting for the return of Christ so you will know his salvation that he has made possible for you, the hope that you have in him? Where is your hope for eternity? Are you living with an eternal perspective, an eternal focus? And are we being faithful with every day that God has given us? God, what am I giving my time to? What do I need to stop doing? What do I need to start doing? This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Let me pray for you as we wrap up. Father, we're so thankful for your word. God, thank you for Psalm chapter 90 and the incredible perspective that it gives us. God, thank you for the reminder from Ephesians 5 and Colossians 4 about what it means to make the best use of the time, to make the most of every opportunity. God, teach us to number our days to realize that our days are limited so that we would know and gain your wisdom for how to live those days. God, we don't want to give our lives to foolish pursuits. We don't want to waste our lives. They're a gift from you. God, we want to be good stewards of the time. So God, teach us to be intentional. Teach us to prioritize the right things, time with you, time with your people. And then God, help us to go out and invest in those relationships, to work hard, to play with joy, and God, in all that we do, that we would worship and honor you. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen.